ironically, every time I've done something like this where it's, like, a movie that I've seen in the distant past, I love doing it. And mm-hmm. I've mentioned, I think, recently, like, the movie Dream for an Insomniac. We were mm-hmm. talking about A Lifeless Ordinary and how, like, I have memories of these movies being, like, ups- like, I was like, yes, this is a great movie. I would love to watch Dream for an Insomniac with a modern audience to see how... And I feel like I'd be embarrassed watching it. <laughs> Just how it stands up, you mean? How it stands up and, like, how I have it, me having told you that I used to love this movie as a kid and that I wanted to be like these people, now that you know that about me, and we, I feel like when we watch this, I'm going to be horrified that I said that to you guys. <laughs> I've never even heard of this movie. Oh, it's nuts. I think that's why my first... Screen name was the Silent Beatnik. Oh, oh, that's where that came from. Yeah. It's not like they say that in the movie, but the Silent Beatnik. Yeah, it was that. bad. I was a bad person. Okay, was my first screen name was Anime Princess Eight Twenty Seven. Yes, there you go. I'm better than that. <laughs> sit down with a troubled movie, drink a themed cocktail, talk about what worked and what didn't, and try to fix it. I am Chris Richie Vanderclaw Ravel. I am Brendan. Diamonds have no value except that which is placed upon them, Drishler. I am Lee. We can do this with violence or without. Delahanty. And we have with us two very special guests. Not one, but two. In retrospect, this would have been a really good 50th episode. Uh, the idea of having everyone together. That's going to be our Christmas episode. And frankly, even we don't know what we're talking about for our Christmas <laughs> episode. So who, like, would we like to start over here? I'm Faith Todd Johnson. I live up the hill. <laughs> and I make, it's kind of obvious, Robert, coin. Awesome. I mean, Faith and Meg have been in, I think, a piece multiple episodes yes, with us. Yes, this is my fourth episode. I've done one. This is an exciting, huge crossover episode. <laughs> this is truly. the most white people we've ever had in one room at the same time. Peak podcasting in That's that way. That's right. <laughs> Although, to be fair, the men are outnumbered by the women, which is the anti-podcasting rule. Because you <laughs> have more women than there are men. It's unusual in this apartment, too. <laughs> is. I probably could never, ever, ever tell from our nicknames, but we did the movie A Life Less Ordinary, uh, starring Ewan McGregor and uh, Cameron Diaz and Ian Holmes, Stanley Tucci, Holly Hunter, Holly Hunter, Delroy Lindo, Lindo, Dan Hedaya. It's from 1997, also and directed by Danny Boyle. Yeah. You all know Danny Boyle, don't you? Don't you? <laughs> of train spotting of other movies. <laughs> train spotting and the rest. Train spotting he too. Did the 2005 Pride and Prejudice, did he not? No. I don't know he who Danny not. Boyle is. He did Slumdog Millionaire. <laughs> he did Slumdog Millionaire. He's he in a lot of different things. Shallow Grave. Oh, he right. made 28 Days Later and Sunshine. Steve and Jobs. Is... Who did the 2005 Pride and Prejudice? I could not say. Uh, Joe Wright? Question. That name Shut sounds up. nothing like Danny Boyle. <laughs> I didn't say it sounds like Danny Boyle. I have a totally wrong perception of who Danny Boyle is. But before we crack into this movie at all, Brendan, what did we drink today? Well, Chris, four-fifths of a drank a lime less ordinary, which is made of two ounces of ransom old time gin, one ounce of lime juice, half an ounce of simple syrup, and some black pepper bitters, and you basically just mix everything, save the bitters together in a tumbler, uh, throw some ice in there, pour it onto some lovely glasses, and then dash some bitters in on top of it. What did everyone think? 
Uh, it was very sour, very tart. Yes, tart. but I liked it. On the yeah, I, I did too. I did not like it. It was just a lot more tart than I thought it would be, actually. I had to drink it very slowly. I did too. I it took me a while. Also. I shot mine straight down. I, <laughs> it was very tart and bright, and I definitely could only drink so much of it. I After I finished that one, I began to feel very sleepy, so I was decided to pump the brakes. But as Brendan pointed out, only four-fifths of us drink that... Faith, you made yourself a separate mocktail. Yes. I did. I made a half a million dollars, which was six ounces of seltzer, one and a half ounces of pineapple juice, uh, one ounce of grape juice, and half an ounce of rosemary simple syrup. So what'd you think? It was pretty good. Yeah, it like was the, really tasty. Like, the grape can be a little overpowering, but I did kind of like the herb in there. Yeah. It sort of gave it a different vibe than just juice. It so. wasn't, maybe, with the rosemary, it was, like, less sweet than it could have been. Yeah. So the, the grape juice added, like, a lot of sweetness. And the pineapple juice, too, so... It would, it, it would frankly, make a very good mixer. From what I tasted, the whole, there's the whole like that whole shit. That whole treatment. <laughs> That's a lot of work for a mixer. I mean, it's it I would just be a just, cocktail. You just throw an alcohol in there, yeah. I guess. Isn't that how it works? At that point, the alcohol's the mixer. <laughs> That's true. So yes, that is what we drank tonight to help wash this movie down. And Brenda, could you tell us what is the plot of a life left? Life less ordinary. I You're not very good at this, are you? That. <laughs> all right, so let me just get this out of the way first. I just want you all to know that this article's plot summary may be too long or excessively detailed, <laughs> according to Wikipedia. A citation that was put in October 2013. To this day, no one has fucking stepped to take care of it. That's a citation? Which well, they, they say right at the top there. That's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. In heaven, angels are tasked with ensuring that mortals on earth find love. The captain, Gabriel Danadea, is upset at reviewing the file of angel partners O'Reilly, Holly Hunter, and Jackson, Delroy Lindo. Gabriel is being pressed for results, so he introduced a radical new incentive. Their latest case isn't cracked, meaning if the pair in question do not fall and stay in love, O'Reilly and Jackson must stay on earth forever, which does not appeal to them. <laughs> they open their case file to learn their tasks. Celine Neville Cameron Diaz, the spoiled 20-something daughter of a wealthy businessman. One of her suitors, a loathsome dentist named Elliot Stanley Tucci, proposes marriage to her. She offers to say yes, but only if he agrees to play William Tell with an apple on his head. As she takes aim with a pistol, Elliot's nerves fail. His move results on a minor head wound. Robert Lewis, Ewan McGregor, is a janitor employed in the basement of Celine's father's company. He dreams for writing a best-selling... His dreams for writing a best-selling trash novel are shot down by his co-workers. His manager tells him he is to be replaced by a robot. As he drowns his sorrows at a local bar, his girlfriend Lily tells him she is leaving him for an aerobics instructor. O'Reilly and Jackson pose as collecting agents to repossess Robert's things and evict him from his apartment. Robert storms to the high-rise office with a company boss, Mr. Neville, Ian Holm, while Neville is berating his daughter Celine for the William Tell fiasco. Security guards run in and start to attack Robert, but he holds them off. When Celine introduces herself, Robert decides to kidnap her. He drives her to a remote cabin in the California woods, apparently. Selim easily slips free, but decides to stick around. She stays for the adventure and revenge against her father, suggesting they extort a huge ransom. O'Reilly and Jackson pose as bounty hunters and contract with Neville to retrieve Selim and kill Robert. Robert's first attempt to collect the ransom fails, but Selim encourages him. They go out to a rustic bar where they sing along to the karaoke machine. When Robert wakes up the next morning, he is stunned to see that he and Selim have slept together. Arguable. Robert makes a second <laughs> demand for the ransom with a letter written in Selim's blood. Deville gives O'Reilly and Jackson the money, and they go to meet Robert in the forest. To their disappointment, Robert appears 
willing to let Celine go in exchange for the money before O'Reilly stops his getaway. Aside, Jackson confesses that his fears are that the two are not in love. This is horrible. Are not in love yet. O'Reilly responds, Jeopardy, Jackson. Always works. While O'Reilly, that was really more Jodie Foster, wasn't it? <laughs> Jeopardy, Dr. Lecter. It always works. While O'Reilly and Celine wait by their car, Jackson takes Robert into the woods to execute him. Before he can, Celine decks O'Reilly, runs into the woods, and knocks Jackson out with a shovel. As Robert and Celine drive away, O'Reilly grabs the tow bar and rides along. As she points her gun, Robert and Celine jump from the car and it careens off a cliff with the money still inside. Since they are short of money, Celine decides to go rob a bank with Jackson's pistol. The robbery goes smoothly until a security guard, arguable, shoots at Celine. Robert pushes her out of the way, taking a bullet in the thigh. Celine hurriedly drives him back to the city to be operated on by Elliot. A little later, when Robert regains consciousness, he is appalled to see Celine playing a sleazy sexual role-playing game with Elliot. A fight breaks out, and Robert knocks Elliot unconscious. As they drive away, Celine explains that she only agreed to Elliot's request that he would help Robert. And in any case, it's not any of Robert's business, since he and Celine aren't involved, whatever he might think. Hurt, Robert gets out of the car and walks away. To get them back together, Jackson writes a love poem in Robert's handwriting and sends it to Celine. Overcome, she runs to the bar where Robert has worked as a janitor and says he has won her heart with a poem. O'Reilly and Jackson listening dance for joy dot 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 until Robert says that he's never written a poem in his life. <laughs> Humiliated, Celine runs out again, but after she's gone, Robert's boss Al, Tony Shaloub, knocks some sense into him. Robert runs after Celine, but it is too late. O'Reilly and Jackson believe they have failed, decide to make their earthbound lives bearable by kidnapping Celine for ransom, which I did not get was what their motive I was. I They say that. She says, we don't have to live like this, Jackson. We I Maybe we failed, but we don't have to live like this. These characters are becoming more bizarre like, I didn't by the moment. That to the money. Robert tracks Celine to their hideout. He knocks O'Reilly down, struggling with Jackson, tells Celine he loves her. The door is kicked down by Neville's butler, Mayhew, who shoots the two angels in the head, apparently killing them. Leaving Celine locked in the trunk, Neville and Mayhew drive Robert and the two angels' bodies to the cabin, planning to fake a murder suicide. In heaven, Gabriel's secretary begs him to intervene. He phones God and asks him to do so. A neighbor releases Celine from the truck. Wow, is this the first time we've heard of him? As they didn't mention Todd Johnson yeah, before they mentioned every fucking other detail, but Todd Johnson is just a. They neighbor. cut up that whole chunk before they go to the karaoke yeah. scene. So anyway. Uh, taking the gun, she runs to the cabin and confronts her father while Mayhew holds Robert at gunpoint. Robert has had recurring dreams of being saved by being shot through the heart by an arrow of love. Celine shoots Robert and the bullet passes through to hit Mayhew in the shoulder. After a whispered conference in Al's bar, Robert and Celine walk outside to their wedding. Whoa. In an epilogue, Gabriel, yep, that's it. That's all that happens. Can't say anything else happened. In an epilogue, Gabriel frees O'Reilly and Jackson from a pair of body bags. After Gabriel congratulates them on a successful case, the two angels embrace as they prepare to return home. In a second epilogue filmed with claymation, Robert and Celine retrieve the suitcase full of money and settle in their new castle in Scotland. Near Paris. Yes. If you remember correctly. In That's England. right. That's it. That's the movie. Did it make sense to you? No. <laughs> All right, cool. Me neither. Did no one ever get the thing? I always understood that that was what the, the, the point at which the English gave up. I remember before I before I decided to rewatch it the first time with you guys on our first viewing, Mm-hmm. When I had to like remember what I remember this movie, I always remember that like the angels initially were trying to get them to fall in love, but that they like they at some point they decided no, they're just going to kidnap her for real. And get them I home. honestly, what I had assumed that. was that what I had assumed was that this was just still a part of the like the jeopard the keep them in jeopardy plan. No, yeah, there, there is like yeah. a moment where Holly Hunter in on the top in the rainy roof says like. Um, Maybe we failed Jackson, but we don't have to live like this. And that's when they kidnap her. That makes more sense. Here's a thing then. The fact that I was not really sure how that played into their plan is very indicative of their plan in this movie altogether. In that I have a hard time telling what precisely their plan is. Up in, you know, I know obviously what they're supposed to be trying to do because they need them to fall in love. Otherwise they can't go back to heaven. 
But they do it in some very roundabout, odd ways. They say repeatedly that Jeopardy is the way to get them together, which they do put them in Jeopardy. But they also make some strange decisions while they're putting them in Jeopardy. I'm not going to defend their plans in this movie. Thank God. That's what you want me to do. It is what I want you to do, counselor. (laughs) I agree. Their plans are not very well laid out. It's very unclear, sort of. Like, you get the general sense that they're supposed yeah. to be doing it, but you never see them just talking, really. The only time they talk about what they're doing is that one time outside the car where they say Jeopardy always works. Right. Yeah. It's not really, like, a very planned out plan. Yeah. The whole seems... first hostage attempt and the first rescue attempt where, like, there's a bomb in the car that doesn't go off, and then they, right. they like, make him think that he has to get away, but they actually planned his own escape from right. Jeopardy. It's, like, unclear w- what the thought process it's is. It's a needlessly elaborate, confusing plot, because there's a hitchhiker involved and the hitchhiker's in the middle of the road and it's dependent upon the fact that Ewan McGregor will stop because he doesn't want to hit the hitchhiker but then he like leaves the car and the hitchhiker gets the car? He saw, he tells the hitchhiker quick drive this car because he because they'll because in his uh, mind I see the be people going, behind him will, will be chasing, chasing the, car. the car not him. I got you. Okay. The, that makes some sense to me now. I did not catch that. The only other look I feel like we get into the angels like plan such as it is is when they're first getting the bounty hunting thing from Ian home and Joe Orlando is like, do we really need to do this? Kind of. And Holly Hunter's response is like, well, if we don't take this job, presumably yeah. another more legit bounty hunter will. Yeah. On individual, and then they have a different problem. Individual actions they take make sense like that. Like, yes, of course you wouldn't want real bounty hunters going after Ewan McGregor because that jeopardizes their plan of making them fall in love. But then like the way, I don't know. It is a weird line they have to walk where they have to look like they're working for um, Ian Holm, but also not kill Ewan McGregor and instead make them fall in love. The larger picture is where it gets confused, not the small small details. There's also, well, there's also the scene that we were talking about when it it, it happens in the movie where Delroy Lindo is taking Ewan McGregor out to the woods and is like, dig your own grave. And Ewan McGregor is like crying, like Like hysterically. And like, like, they're playing this scene so straight that like, Ewan McGregor legitimately thinks he's about to be shot and killed. But it's like, following a goofy car chase, preceding another goofy car chase. And there's just this moment of like, sheer terror where Ewan McGregor thinks for all the world that he is about to die. It just, like, sort of brings the kind of comic sensibilities of the earlier scene to a screeching halt before it jumps back in them again with Holly Hunter doing her Terminator shtick on the back of the car. For the Angels part, too, that's also really, like... What's the word I'm looking for when you... What's... What was... Uh, call his bluff. Call his bluff. Call, like, yeah. it really calls the Angels bluff because, like, they're n- he's not gonna shoot him at right, that point. Right, and that's point. the other thing, too. So, like, what did he think was gonna happen when, when he caught... Like, when he finished digging the grave and right. nothing else happened? He just has to sit there and not shoot the grave. Right, so, so, like, Delroy Lindo is banking on Cameron Diaz coming in at the last moment and, like, rescuing you and McGregor somehow. Instead of, like, you think the easy thing to do would just be take him into the woods, like, keep the gun on him and be like, at some point, I'm going to shoot you, but, like, let's shoot this shit for a little bit. Just, like, make him worry, you know? Yeah. Like, that's perfectly fine. But here he says, like, dig a hole when you finish digging the hole that I'm to shoot you and bury you in this hole. Yeah. Like, the music, too, for that is, like, a very intense yeah. song yeah. playing yeah. under. It would also help their case, I think... If they maybe had someone, even if it was Delroy Lindo, if it had been one of the angels, to be like, but how do we know this is going to work? If we could have received an answer like, God moves in mysterious ways, like that could have worked for this movie. I I just, I thought it was weird because moments like that don't really get addressed. So you are left wondering... I mean, Delroy Lindo would not have killed him because then they would have failed their mission. Right. But I don't It's crazy how close he gets. And he yeah. starts, like, giving the cross, and I'm like, what is happening? Yeah. What are you doing right now? Why as, are you doing that? As if he feels as if I must kill him. Yeah, yeah. Like, well, I said I would. I'm mournful <laughs> about it. I'm really mad we're here. 
but it's happening. Yeah. This, I feel, is a great place to get into in terms of the plot and pacing <laughs> of, like, what is going on and how it's actually doled out to us. So does anyone have any, like, just general thoughts on that one to start us off? Brendan does. Well, I, I'll just say something real quick. Yeah. This movie feels like a fucking fever dream. <laughs> there are so yeah. many, like, it feels like this is a two and a half hour movie that the studio was like, no, you have to get this down to 100 minutes or we won't release it. So there are, like, connective scenes that feel like they're missing. There are so many motives that are just questionable and don't even make a whole lot of sense. There are so many character choices that don't make sense. Like, in the first night, Lee, you pointed out how, like, Cameron Diaz seems pretty cool about being kidnapped, but that, like, to, you know, to the point that, like, he's tying her to a chair and she's just like making observations about the last time she was kidnapped and then the next morning she's like reading a book and she's like very pissy toward you which again she was kidnapped you have every right to be pissy toward you yeah, and McGregor. Pissy to him the yeah. night before yeah like what changed from the point that you were tied to the chair to the point that you were able to untie yourself from a chair and read a shitty novel then like immediately she's just like like no I'm reading the book like it's a dumb book but I don't care I'm allowed to read it I will say she does say like were you tell me to a chair all night which I get but yeah like, why didn't you say something last right night? like say something yeah. like could I tie me to a couch or something like I don't know like he gave you a quilt too <laughs> yeah. it's true the whole setup of the plot makes no sense to me what is it about these two people that God is so invested in getting them together that there has to be this whole elaborate sending these people from like his agency to make them fall in love or they will lose their jobs so there's a similar thing that happened this year on TV called Miracle Workers yeah I was just gonna say this mm. with um Harry Potter yes yeah. Daniel Radcliffe oh, yeah. when that came out I thought yeah. of this movie yeah so, yeah, and that one, it's much more clearly laid out where God is, like, bored. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's like, I'm going to blow the earth up. Because God is portrayed as, like, this inept man-child. It's Steve Buscemi. Yeah, yeah. Oh. Steve Buscemi. And, like... I heard about the show. The way that, like, Daniel Radcliffe is, like, the only angel invested in the world. And it's sort of his, like, young, like, new employee in his office in, like, the, the prayers answer department. And they're like, what if we can answer, like, one prayer... And, like, the one prayer they get is, like, a double, like, a twofer. And it's, like, two people that have just met at a party and they want to, like, date the other person. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you're like, well, this is easy. They both want to date the other person. And so they're, they make a bet with God that's, like, if we can make these two people, if we can fulfill kiss, their if they, prayers, like, kiss or something. Yeah, yeah. Then, like, you won't blow up the earth. And then, like, all these little snags keep coming up because, like, he's not there at the right moment. This other guy wanders over and he hits it off with the girl really well. They have to, like, construct a means to get the guy out of his apartment by, like, cutting off his electricity and, like, getting him to, like, go down to the street, like, to go outside to get pizza or something where the girl happens to be. That makes sense because it's this couple right here. Like, it is odd that it's not just in this movie God says like I want to believe in love yeah. therefore I want you to pick this oh this couple it's just, it seems a lot less up. contrived where it's just like we really have to like you know twist reality to put these two people together and there's going to be a body count along the way it did <laughs> also seem though like do, do they just need to make love happen in general to make some kind of, like, God's love quota well they introduced in the beginning that like all the marriages are failing Like, they must be in some sort of department that's, like, for making people fall in love, and they're doing terribly. Is that why everyone's looking for a husband? It's because oh, everyone's getting divorced yeah. so they're all looking for new husbands. Yeah, I did not put that together, but I think you're but right. But what I, again, I think the sum, well, I think the conclusion of all of this is that I think it's a fine premise for a movie. I think that the movie doesn't do any, like, work to set up why these mm-hmm. movies need to get together. It just yeah. needs, like, like, we've just listed one possible reason why it could, why it's so important that these two get together. Yeah. There could be many others, but they don't say why. No, we're not right. given any of that. I mean, it would even just be so simple. It was just that, like, you two people in particular have been terrible at your jobs for, like, the 
the past hundred years or something. If you don't get this one, your next assignment right, then I'm just going to banish you to Earth. That's perfectly fine. But here it seems that like there is some sort of huge sweeping department-wide ramifications or something like that. Like every single angel in this department has been doing a shitty job, but we don't really focus on the other angels. They like, mention mass layoffs. <laughs> yeah. They mention like new regulations or something. Yeah. New incentives. And then he also says it's a tough case to crack. So I don't know. Like feeding into what you were saying, Brendan, and he could have leaned on that more and been like, you guys have been screwing up so bad, we're going to give you this really tough case, and if you can do this, then you Always can forgiven. keep doing what yeah. you're doing. Or... That's not the, that's not how you, I mean, if you were, if you wanted to ensure that they were going to get fired, that's how you do it, but right. if, if you're doing bad, you're, as a as a boss, what you do is like, can you do this one simple thing yeah. just to prove really to me that you're still confident? Yeah, but I guess it is, this is coming. If like, this is coming down from like God, who's above Dan Hidea, maybe yeah. God was like, I'm fed up with these idiots. Like they have to do this tough thing. If they can't do this tough thing, then like yeah. fuck it. Rise to them. the occasion. Yeah, exactly. Like, I don't know. Lean in. I, God wants them to lean in. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just similar to something uh, Brendan mentioned before about, like, a lot of scenes uh, get, like, kind of weird or abrupt endings, that really stuck out to me the most on our second watch through, where it seems like the very end, or scenes that need a conclusion, don't get one and we're already jumped to the next one. And it made me wonder at times, did Cameron Diaz have her turn towards being annoyed with Uma Gregor, but that just ended up on the cutting room floor? So, like, in between getting tied to the chair and being cool with it, the next morning being, like, annoyed and pissed off, maybe that initial scene was longer, and she already had that turn towards, like, snapping at him. And I mean, that I would, would make that it feel. was. Yeah. If you, not, it's incomprehensible. You seemed to talk about, you went on IMDb and saw that there was, like, a longer version. Did you did you do any research about that? Uh, the only thing that IMDb said about being a longer version is they said that Timothy Oliphant's scene as a hitchhiker was uh, cut down. That's Because that was your initial theory, was that it was, like, a two-hour-long movie or something. Which, it, well, well, just, yeah. like, as watching it, we sort of surmised, like... There had to be scenes cut out based on just how much it jumps around. It could just be like the script was longer and they were like, we don't have the budget for this, so just take these pages out. It does give it this like very dreamlike, disorienting feel. And at times I think it can, it is effective because it, it dips into a few times into this kind of like light magical realism, especially yes. with like the angels and God and trying to make people fall in love. But at other times it just feels... Like, we just got shorted of a maybe a scene conclusion we could have used. Honestly, for me, the entire movie just feels, like, tonally unpleasant in a way I don't like. I don't think it lends itself to sort of a magical realism thing that works for me. I just watch this entire movie feeling like I'm seeing someone who had a dream recall a mo movie that they had in that dream. Like, they made this movie in a dream and are telling me about it the next day. Right. But, 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 but wait, why, why is she doing this now? Like, and why are these guys here? And why, why are the angels here in the first place? And so it just becomes, like, for me, incomprehensible rather than something something that I am appreciating for having some sort of magical realism tone to it. It was inconsistent for yeah. me. That was one of my major notes is, like you were saying, Chris, there's elements of magical realism in it, but it's not, we don't have enough to be like, this is the type of movie we're right. doing, and we don't, but we have enough of it in there that it's not just kind of like a, a straight tone for the movie, so it's it kind of couldn't decide what it was trying to be, so it did a little bit of a bunch of things. Well, it's and it kind of slapdash. it kind of goes into like this like sort of dreamlike states a lot, and like Ewan McGregor talks about the dreams he has a lot, but we don't see those specific dreams most of the time. I want to say probably I think I did find this movie in one of my like weekend get one buy one get one free. Is it the five dollar bin at Walmart? <laughs> no, I think it was like a you know I probably rented it first where you could be like to see a bunch of movies and like I would have like looked at the back of it and read the synopsis and I was also much younger and like just just took a lot of things 
at face value when as you do when you're younger you just like that watch things and go like yep yeah, this makes sense yep. and so like i when i when i before i watched this as like a much older person i think i've seen this in like at least 10 years probably longer than 10 years i didn't i didn't have i remember clearly not having any of these issues when i first watched it and i think part of that is like the back of the dvd or the vhs even said like it's about a man who kidnaps a woman and then they agree to to it together so like when it suddenly escalates to like him kidnapping her i was like all right the plot's starting the plot that was promised <laughs> <laughs> and, and like everything else just like every, all the other like jumps were just like yeah this is just the next logical step it is in in a sense like it's the actual definition of a dream where you cut out the stuff that you don't need that isn't relevant to the immediate story mm-hmm. and in that dream it doesn't matter that it didn't you skip ahead in time because in that dream you remember like yeah, this is now I'm here. And right. that makes sense. Like, but you're not thinking about it. It's dream logic, right? Because, like, in a dream, yeah. like, weird shit will happen. You're just like, yeah, of course this is happening. Face value. Yeah. Well, and you, it's, that happens sometimes when I dream as well. I feel like I'll skip ahead to something because I'm like, well, that's just naturally the next plot beat. And that's where we're going to go now. Yeah. But I feel like it does tend to have this, like, clipped. Yeah, when you're times. seeing it awake. Yeah. And, like, now yeah. that, when I, like, I have all the same problems that you guys had, but, like, I remember not having them when I was younger because mm. I just really right. accepted it. I was just like, yeah, oh, same. Sense. checks out, <laughs> checks out, checks out. I think yeah. the weirdest of all of that is just the fallout from the uh, bank robbery, especially <laughs> yeah. because it's weird to me that the Wikipedia says he jumps in front of her because, and I was looking at this that second time, it just kind of seems like they stand still. He turns he stands, around. Like, yeah, he moves and in, he doesn't jump pivots. in front of her. Jump is a very active word for right. what he does. He kind of like... Vaguely shifts. Like, shifts like, yeah. yes. He puts his body in the way of the bullets. It's especially weird because he's already in front of her when it happens. I thought he was to the side. I thought he was, he was side. To the he's side. already in front of her and he just kind of like takes a half step and then it feels like there's a whole beat before the cop actually aims and shoots. Well, and there's that weird moment too where he looks in the back seat and he sees Cameron Diaz like dying like with blood yeah, all over her. Yeah, he has sort of like the vision yeah. of like this where, is what's I guess God or know. the angels gave him a vision? I think he was seeing it. I think it was a like this This could be about to happen. This, yeah. <laughs> Incomprehensible. Mm, no, I, I think... Incomprehensible! <laughs> Incomprehensible, I say! I think that he is having prophetic visions from God the whole movie and that the movie just never explains this to us. <laughs> because he talks about that fucking dream he has about like his stopping yeah. all throughout the movie and it comes true. But that doubting Thomas Cameron Diaz doesn't want to hear about it. <laughs> doubting Diaz. <laughs> doubting Diaz. <laughs> it's just another detail that you should question more and is never explained. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Totally. So like in terms of dream things one of the weirdest scenes for me I think is the transition from when they're doing karaoke in the bar to the next day where they yes. I, I guess have sex. But so it, start, it starts with them singing karaoke. Fine, this is very normal. You sing karaoke they do a little dance. Then we cut to them wearing different clothing where he's like wearing a suit and he has his hair all combed back and she has like a cute little dress and her hair is styled in a different way and so they do this little song and dance sequence at the bar everyone else still looks normal but they're wearing like fancy clothes and it's like okay I can buy this as a fantasy sequence mm-hmm. I think perhaps had you leaned a little bit more into it maybe like you're the only people at the bar or maybe everyone else at the bar is also wearing like fancy clothes I would accept this a little bit more then it starts to be intercut with sequences of his dream and you don't realize it's his dream immediately because he explains to you after the fact what it was that he was dreaming about so you just all of a sudden see you and McGregor tied to an enormous arrow being spun around like one of those knife throwing tricks at the circus. I, I couldn't even follow what was happening the first time I saw it. I swear to God. Although this prophetic dreams thing that if they had given us even just 
more of a hint of that, I think that would have helped explain. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, it's a perfectly valid solution, right? There's no reason why that couldn't be happening. This isn't the first time something like this has come up, um, mm-hmm. but I do think I just have, like, a weird ability to fill in logic holes. Like... <laughs> do I think God is giving you prophetic visions of how movies should actually be? Yes, I do. <laughs> no, I mean, I'm just saying, like, this isn't the first time we've talked about, like, problems that people have had that I sort I understand when they say them, but I'm like, oh, I just thought this, and I have a very detailed... I sort of tend to do this like a, I like I think even though I'm I'm older now and I can like re, like watch things more critically, I think I do still just like accept a lot of things easier and just go like yeah that must I mean somebody wrote it and it got made so there must be a reason and then I, if there isn't one I just sort of fill one in my head. <laughs> I think part of it too is you're also probably more inclined to do that with a movie that you overall like. I mean, yeah, I don't, I, like, I have an like affection for it. Yeah. I was going to say for a movie that you've seen several times. Yeah, so especially, yeah, I've seen had, it like, a lot. I've thought about, about it. it. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, I mean, even, like, other movies that we did for the podcast, I remember having a similar thing where, like, you guys would be really confused about something, and I would, I would be like, yeah, I mean, I guess that is confusing. I just, like, in my head, I just put it, I just decided on a reason. Like, when... Maybe it's like a bad. Maybe it's like I'm. I'm more likely to accept insanity. Should it ever strike me? Because I just like <laughs> accept crazy logic faster. <laughs> but like that was a good thought. Like I had never even thought. Yeah. That. And you're like, well, I thought that it wasn't like, you know, if you say the suggestion that you have is a good one, and I'm like, oh, well, why didn't the movie just say that? Yeah, then? And that's, so yeah, like, no, that's well, I don't know. I thought this other thing. You know, that's my biggest takeaway. Is just I agree. Like, why didn't someone like, else? That fits it? so well. Like, <laughs> People shouldn't have to synthesize the plot yeah. of the movie right? <laughs> when it's happening. We'll just call Leanne as a script doctor. Yeah, for everything. Exactly. <laughs> I was going to say also, so that kind of connects to, I, I don't want to say it's the moment where the movie completely lost me because it happens way at the end of the movie, but it is a moment where I was just sort of like, I don't even know what the fuck is happening now anymore, where Cameron Diaz gets out of the trunk, shoots you and McGregor through the oh, chest. Yeah. It hits Mayhew. Mayhew is knocked to the ground. You and a shot through the heart. Yes, according to the animation that and we you're see. Too late. Yeah, and you can, <laughs> see, yes. and you can see light shining through it. Yes. you could like, like I assume it's just supposed to be the light from behind him, but it looks almost like it's like a heavenly light. It is miracle. supposed to be a heavenly. Okay, light. is yeah. it a heavenly light? It's a fucking heavenly light shining out of Ewan McGregor's torso. At that point, I was just like, I don't even know, like, wh- where did this inference come from? How is he not dead? It's just a miracle, I guess. It's yes. somehow. So like, okay, okay. So fucking God the Almighty, who came up with this dumbass idea to begin with, at the end it's just like, ah, oh, fuck it. If she shoots him, it's fine. I'll keep him alive. It's She must really no. love See, this him. This again is where I think they could have used a little bit more of like, God is like pulling these strings to make weird things happen because you do see a series of miracles leading up to the gunshot thing. We're already primed right. for that because he already had this prophetic dream about being... So when that happened, that actually made sense to me. And when the light came in, I'm like... Well, that's how they're showing, like, God has, like, encased his heart with this heavenly light and is once, catching it back up. Once again, though, you go back, you have to follow the good omen's rule of God, which is that it, this was God's plan all along, and you can't understand what God was thinking. His whole plan, in the beginning with, to, like, fuck with these angels, was, again, part of the ineffable plan. God's plan it's just it's seems ineffable. like randomness. God's this plan is, is throwing spaghetti at the wall and seeing what sticks. <laughs> this is This is what priests will tell you. I know what priests will tell me, and that's why I'm not a Catholic. I do think it's interesting that this movie has none of that in it. When I would think that would have been a very easy bit of couching to put a lot of these weirder plot moments in, of like, it, it would sort of maybe read somewhat like a shrug, but I think it would have helped him out a lot to lean on that a little. I, I, like, I, I, I got I got one. I got to fix you, yeah. Brenda. At the end, when, when the... 
the heavenly light shows, you get a, a cut to like a desk and it says God in the nameplate and just looks at the camera and winks. <laughs> <laughs> it all falls together. All right, Lee, who do you see as God? Exactly, my question. Uh, I'm trying to think like who in the 90s, who in the late 90s. Robin Williams. If they wanted to kind there of do... Goes, ho, ho. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that would have been it. <laughs> it's trademark line. I, oh. <laughs> I was thinking like Whoopi Goldberg or something in my head. Um, now also, I just want constant cuts to Robin Williams throughout the movie. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> then he types something seemingly random happened. You just see God in a computer be like, ooh. But you don't know it's God because you don't see the, th- the nameplate until later. Until the end. There you There's go. Like, yeah. 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 So you think you're just cutting to random Robin Williams shots. <laughs> I mean, he's got an equally goofy shirt like he usually has. Like you and McGregor has in this movie. I have to say, just in general, the entire concept of this... I, I, it's not a framing device, so I don't want to really call it that, but I guess just the concept of angels being involved in this, it's not like a bad idea, right? Like, this is definitely a thing that's happened in other movies, where the idea that angels are, for some reason, involved in something happening on Earth and have to conspire to make whatever it is happen. But in here, it just feels like... I, I don't know why it's there. don't understand why it was put in. It feels like they didn't spend a whole lot of time putting the, the pieces in the proper order for this to all line up and work. It just feels like kind of this bizarre afterthought. Like, it seems like if this were just a movie about a guy and a girl who somehow managed to fall in love, like, under some sort of stressful kidnapping circumstance, I'd be like, yeah, okay, that's a serviceable enough plot. But it was like, oh, no, no, no. This is 1997, dear boy. We can't just have these couple fall in love through kidnapping. We've got to have, like, angels involved now. Like, uh, you're why right. are they there. It's two very high concept ideas that stand well on their own, and they're yeah. slammed together in a hadron collider. Yeah, <laughs> I don't, which I don't necessarily disagree with. I think they could have worked well together. I just think there needed to be a little more like shoring up of some pillars. Yeah, in the I think structure. you're Actual giving yourself stuff. more yeah. work. Yeah, I agree. It's more work to shove those two things together than it is yeah. to just do a good story of each of those things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Though I will say, it feels like two movies. If you want to transition to characters, I do actually. As much as I don't care for it, Holly <laughs> Hunter is great. Oh, I would love. So I mean, good. I. I mean, I feel like I said this when we were. I did say it when we were watching it. I could not explain to you what all of the logic of each and every one of her choices are, but I love each and every one of them. She's so fucking entertaining in this yeah. movie. She's having so much fun. She yeah. is evident. I feel like she's one of the few people that really understood what to do to this movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she has a good scene partner. Like who? No, Delroy like, Lindo is really good in it, too. Yeah, like, yeah. we're under... He gets undermined by how good Holly Hunter right. is. And he's also playing, like, good. a straight man to her craziness most of the time, yeah. too. Which, again, it's, it's you know, it's not an easy thing to do. So credit where credit's due. He gets his moment to shine, though, with that broken arm bit at the end. Yeah. <laughs> when he's, like, so upset that she got punched. He's like, with the broken arm! <laughs> he also gets his moment with, with the poem, I thought, the too. The poem was good. Yeah, also, was a good one. His joke with, like, when she's mute, like, uh... Get gagged mm-hmm. and like playing jet blackjack, yeah. and she's clearly saying like no, 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 and he's yeah. like, you want another hit? You want another hit? <laughs> now, now, Miss Jackson, you got <laughs> yeah. out there. You could stay right there. Get four thousand dollars. <laughs> it's also fun to see him do that too. I think because in general the character is very kind of straight laced and looks kind of like tense and freaked out most of the time. Yeah. Um, but I also just do appreciate that Holly Hunter kind of combines two flavors of crazy being combined in an unexpected way. Because one is just this, like, crazy levels of violence, but then she's also just, like, 
doing these voices and like shtick she's and very and, like, sexy she's like doing like yeah she's doing like sort of like Mae West yeah, vibes yeah. yeah it's yeah. Sort of, like in my head it's this is an angel who's learned what it's like to be on the watching movies or something mm-hmm. so she's watched a bunch of old movies and is like okay I understand I, I got it now I know what I gotta do down there but then she also gets down there and realizes that violence is fun and hilarious and sexually stimulating to her so she's also like super into all the absurdity that she has to yeah. do I think there was also, I think she, I'm going to say something that's going to sound crazy, I guess. She's just a very sensual character. Because even aside from the violence thing, she was getting really into that love novel that she was reading. Yeah. Yeah. She seemed really turned on by it. Yeah. Um, she seems really turned on when talking she's... Talking to Ian Holm about like, negotiating no, the price. That, but also like, when she takes know, the yeah. gun from Ewan McGregor when she's playing dead. Yeah. yeah. She's like, oh, what are you doing? She's yeah. like, getting a gun out from the... But she also seems... She also yeah. seems sleepy. Like, mm-hmm. she's like, mmm, yeah. drop your gun. <laughs> she was literally taking a nap in the middle of the road up until the point that his car came very close to hitting her. Yeah. She was... I don't know. She's like a sexy little ball of menace. I yeah. just... <laughs> it's such a specific... Yoga boots and a scarf. <laughs> yeah. okay, in a beret, perfect. occasionally. Yeah. yeah, and like even her looks were especially kind of yeah. different kinds of retro. Like, like beret and like. Yeah. It was sort of like a Bonnie and Clyde look with the beret. Yeah. Sort of like a French New Wave sort of like. With the vibe. hair. Yeah. I mean, yeah. look up Faye Dunaway and Bonnie and Clyde. It's her. Yeah. 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 With like um, Brigitte Bardot hair. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, like, she definitely had that like 60s Ooh. Brigitte Bardot. Uh, but yeah, also Dara Lindo, very funny with her. I especially like their scene when they're, like, listening at long range uh, from the diner. Yeah. Their little satellite. That was so The moment funny. when, like, she's so moved by the poem that she's, like, punching him. Yeah. yeah. She's like, how could you in. be so moving? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there truly is a thing where she has to externalize every feeling physically. Yeah. Like, it, it does seem that way. And then when she's scandalized by him referring to breasts, despite her reading, <laughs> like, that novel, when she's like, he's like, it was a poetic reference to the... And she's like, ah! Oh, so good. Um, I mean, that's a thing I'd read about, but wouldn't want to hear about from my coworker. I guess they seem to be very close, though. Like, I don't want to say that they're like I don't ship them because shipping is nonsense. But it does seem like they have a very close sort of relationship. I I don't think they're supposed to be romantically involved, but it seems like they are two people who've been working with each other for a very long time. Yeah, and they're very close friends. They're they're buddy love cops. Yes, Buddy Love Cops. Hi, I'm Buddy Love Cops. Coming this fall on CBS. <laughs> I was, I, my character had a backdoor pilot in The Mysteries of Laura, and it's taken until now to approve. Oh, uh, that's NBC, darling. <laughs> Can we talk about what a dope Ewan McGregor is? Yeah, let's yes. talk about what a, what a mop-topped dope he is. The, the return of Ewan McGregor in yet another... Why did we watch yeah, this? Yes, and you know what? Yeah. Stanley Tucci's in this one, too, yeah. with you and McGregor. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah, it's an all-star. That's Jack the Giant Slayer Part 2. Yeah. <laughs> the prequel. Yeah. <laughs> His character is very stupid at times, um, even frustratingly so, because it just kind of feels like we as a viewer, we're, we're already on this level with you, so get there with us. But at the same time, he's also very good in this, and I actually felt kind of really charmed by his performance. Yeah, I mean, it's Ewan McGregor can really sell most things, I feel. But, like, it's amazing how dumb he is and how dumb he plays it Mm -hmm. in the scene. Like, when she's like, my father knows he always, like, 
oh. He's <laughs> just like, you can see this, like, furrowed brow, like, he just thought of it, and it's like, oh, that is a problem. It's like, it's like Winnie the Pooh levels of, like, yeah. oh, bother. Think, think, think. <laughs> also, this scene, so for me, the problem I have with Ewan McGregor is the beginning where he's sort of introduced. You get a kind of handle on who he is, which incidentally does not inform his character for the rest of the movie. At because all. he mentions that he's writing, like, shitty airport novels never comes up again. I mean, he mentions it to Cameron Diaz at one point, but it's not like, you know, at the end of the movie, you see him finishing writing his that novel. Or like, yeah, why isn't this the fucking novel you're writing? You know, you've just lived a bizarre occurrence. Is that not your book? Anyways, I digress. So you learn all this about him in the beginning. It doesn't really inform anything that he does later on. You find out his girlfriend dumps him. At that point, something like snaps in him where he goes home. There are red gels over all the lights in his apartment for some reason. He just like leans back in the bed and it's just like, there's like a mental break breakdown happening uh-huh. or something. So the next day he goes up to uh, to Neville's office and comes in there with a robot that replaced him and he just like, at that point, it really is a question of, have you thought this through for me? Where it's just like, it doesn't seem like he has thought any of this th- through. But then and, again, that's consistent with no, who he is. Excuse me, and that's true. It's just that I find it very hard to sort of sympathize with a character who's so dumb that he hasn't really worked out the slightest bit of his plan at this point. Like, yeah. like what is the best case scenario for you? And that kind of actually goes a little bit to Cameron Diaz too because she says that like we can split the ransom money that we get from my father but like what does she want this money for does she want to get away from her father I I truly don't know she seems upset because he says like you're going to have to start working now that you've shot Stanley Tucci in the head now that you've shot your would-be fiance it's time for you to get a job I think that was meant to be the setup she's like I don't want to do the work but I still want that money I guess so and she does seem like distraught and shocked when her dad says like incidentally now you have to start working and also I'm going to spood feed you vomit oh I was going to say says that. I think he's referring to, the work is going to make you want to vomit. You will at first, but eventually you will come to, like, the taste. Well, he says something like, you'll come back for second helpings. Like, Again, oh, no. he's not, like yeah. all the other He's not just about getting vomit spooned down. He's saying you'll like the taste of the work. The taste of work will and make you want to vomit in the beginning. I... That's think a that's an ambiguous. I think it's a poorly phrased. I've got it's yeah. poorly I phrased. Guess he was but I think it's to, yes. to I think it very much but. sounds like he's saying you'll want to eat more vomit. I digress. <laughs> I never thought that that was. I, yeah, I mean, I thought it was a weird speech. That you but had. Until it comes up. Right. right. You will come to like. No, I didn't think he meant actual vomit, but it was yeah. just weird to be like. <laughs> I don't you're gonna not like the taste. Point of order. I don't think he was literally gonna feed her vomit either. I'm saying he's using vomit as a metaphor in a very intense way. Anyhow, um, so that's my problem with Ewan McGregor's character, and to a certain extent, that's my problem with Cameron Diaz's character. Again, this is the dream logic. It comes back to the pacing of, like, plot demands that she get kidnapped. So she's, she's she has this yeah. decision, he has this rest decision. I do think that he didn't have a plan <coughs> going up there. I think yeah, that, like, yeah. he was angry and lashing out, and, and it's impulsive. not like he, he planned to be violent because he didn't even bring a gun. Right. He just wanted to go confront the guy that fired him and be like, you can't just fire people. So I think he just wanted to, like, vent. No, I agree with you. But then it's just like once the gun comes out, then it's just like, well, what are you going to do now? Now that you've threatened to kill your boss, like, yeah, I in, think in what world do you think this is going to help you get a job back? And I understand he's clearly not thinking straight at that point, but it's still hard for me to want to follow this person who doesn't have a clear end goal in mind. You know, like after he gets the money, then what? I think it's meant to be a situation spiraling out of control that is not done well and makes you can't follow the thread. Like, it just doesn't progress in the right way. Right. And for me, it's also just, this is like an inciting incident for the movie. So after this happens, this should be informing what they do for the rest of the movie. And it is to the extent that they're talking about getting a ransom and getting money from her father. But it really is just a question of, well, what are you going to use that money for? Why does Cameron Diaz rob a bank? Why is she so, like, she it's just, just wants the money so she doesn't have to go back to dad. Right. But it's just like, it's, it's just, again, what are you going to do with it? You know, yeah. like, 
Like, what's what's your? You're gonna run out of money. Yeah, exactly. Right. Like you're used to a life of unimaginable riches catered to by a manic butler and Stanley Tucci. So like, what are you going to do with your life? (laughs) So I have another thing that I think I probably synthesized over time. Oh boy. I always understood that she is really like masterminding the scheme from the start. Me too. Yeah. Run back to him. Like she wants it just because she's the sees an opportunity. So when she pushes the gun back, she's hoping it's going to go her way. I was going to say, I don't well, think the kidnapping happens without her really getting involved in that yeah. moment. Yeah. See, that was a, like, there, there is definitely that moment where you see her slide the gun across the floor to him. I did not necessarily think that that meant that she knew for sure he was going to kidnap her. I just thought that she thought it was going to be an interesting way to, like, spice things up at the office and maybe take the heat off her. There's that, but then also when he's, like, towering over his boss and he's yelling at Celine Dion. Celine Dion. Yeah, Celine Dion. <laughs> Celine Dion shows yes. up, contributing to the Steve oh, Thanks dream. a lot, 90s. <laughs> um, he's yelling at Hello? Celine, and he says, who are you anyway? And the bo- the dad says, nobody, because this has happened before. Right. And she says, I'm his daughter. Yeah. Like, she's pieces together. I assume that was just her like not understanding like why she should lie about who oh, she is. No. Oh, no. I think she, she knows. knows. And she proves that later, because she is so knowledgeable about kidnapping. Yeah. I think... She didn't necessarily know this is going to become a kidnapping, but I think she was trying to push as many buttons as she could. She, she. I mean, at one point, she's like almost hoping that he shoots her dad. Yeah, no, yeah. I think she's a hundred percent okay with you and McGregor possibly shooting her dad. Which, by the way, is a good springboard into a point I would like to make about her. For the most part, the movie presents her as an absolute sociopath, and it at times is difficult to want them to be together because I'm mm. like, but what if she snaps on you? I sort of disagree. I think that like there are a lot of points where she seems like a sociopath, and then she suddenly transitions after she's kidnapped to like a, a empathetic person mm. who has been kidnapped and had liters of blood taken away from her, and like she seems very like vulnerable in that scene where she's talking about it, like how her dad waited six weeks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whenever the plot demands that she be an elder psycho, she will become that psycho again. Right. So I think it's like an inconsistent character portrayal. And I don't think that it's Cameron Diaz. I think it's the writing making her nuts and and, and like, yeah, I'm going to rob a bank when it when it should happen, but not like... Or like know. when uh, Ewan McGregor comes downstairs and without apparent at the time explanation, she's just pressing a razor into the inside of her wrist and bleeding yeah. into a cup. I mean, you see what it's for later to, like, write a Well, yeah, note, I mean, but... also she had said earlier the thing about they were sending pints of her blood, so I just assumed at the moment that, like, she was like, all right, let's get a roll on this blood <laughs> bullet. Yeah. yeah, I mean, at... Dad knows what this means. <laughs> at minimum, she's a hard woman because of... And you get that sense because, like, she did have to be kidnapped at age 12, so she probably has mm-hmm. developed, like, a crazy life and, like, a little bit of a, uh, like, a sharp edge to her because of that, and, like... Probably one of the reasons why she can William tell people with apples is because she was kidnapped and she wants to defend herself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it starts from a place of her not being, not seeming to care that she shot a guy in the head. Yeah. And then seemingly okay with a guy shooting her dad. Mm-hmm. To like, my, you know, I had blood taken from me as a kid and I had, I'm, I've had a lot of bad breakups. And it's just like, it's not, you can't have both ways. Unless you're really selling it as a hard comedy, as a dark comedy, which I don't necessarily I don't think, think this is. movie's doing. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's kind of going for like a screwball sort of like light fun vibe. Yeah. Then you do I mean, it's, it feels like tonal shifts into it just feels graves. like it's Danny Boyle does a screwball comedy, which is like not necessarily a Reese's peanut butter cup that I'd want to eat. Yeah. <laughs> not really his wheelhouse. Yeah. Because he, he keeps pushing it into almost being this like 
somewhat satirical thriller. It's it's sort of like like dark and misogynist at various points. Like or misanthropic, yeah. not misogynist. Misanthropic. <laughs> I guess it could be, but it's like very misanthropic at certain points where it feels like if you were to just read the script on paper, you'd be like, well, this is a strange little screwball comedy, but okay. But when you see it as a movie, you can really feel that it seems like Danny Boyle read this and was like, okay, but like let's give it more of that patented Danny Boyle touch. Yeah, it also kind of felt at times, at least. I wondered, like, did he see Love in a 45 and thought, like, oh, I'm going to do, like, my take on that? Because it's it's definitely messier. The inconsistency of one of their leads with uh, Cameron Diaz's character, Celine, definitely contributes to that, like, lack of narrative stability yeah. and tonal <laughs> shifting. We t- so we've talked... I'm oh, sorry. I just, like, honestly, what it feels like is that someone gave him the script for bringing a baby, and he was like, but I just saw Natural Born Killers, so <laughs> what if? Yeah. Like, that. that is the tone that this movie strikes me, and that is, for me, why I think, again, it contributes to the dreamlike quality, and I think why I have a hard time feeling, like, emotionally invested in it, because the movie keeps sort of, you know, grabbing me by the collar and dragging me left and right when I think it's going to go one way. Anyway. Who else do we want to talk about? Because from here down, it's sort of like the... Sliding scale of The menagerie yeah. of minor characters. But there's a lot of good bit players here. Todd. Day is delightful. Yes. Let's talk about Todd Johnson. Todd Johnson. Todd, I mean, that, I don't know his name, but he is a storied character actor. I've oh, seen he's a lot of Maury Chaikin. Yes. Oh, yeah. Okay, I do know that name, actually. Everything. He's yeah. in everything. And he knows what to do with that part. Yeah. It's good. When he gets like vehement about how like, but the real question is, who are you? Well he gets like sort of Who are you? Like he like he sort of realizes you and is confusing it by asking him a simple question. Yeah. And he's like, Well that that's not the point. <laughs> the point is who are you? <laughs> <laughs> I watch mainly the biblical channels. I to understand him. I watch mainly the biblical channels. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's so perfect the way he's like so casual. Like I live up the hill. Like, I also just love how casual and ambiguous his whatever it is with his like friend who Felix. came back from the do- Felix. Yeah. yeah, who came back from the war and barks. Unstated war. Yeah. Same. And they're Same dancing way. whenever you know, seeing beyond the sea. Like the two of them are dancing with each other. Yeah. It's sweet. Who knows what their situation is. All they have is each other. Yeah, that's that's what I think it is. Yeah, they just have each other. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So they love each other very much. That one was really fun. Two nuts living in the woods. (laughs) Um, Up the hill. He's a regular man. He's a regular. Regular. As as Faith was saying, Dan Hedaya is just doing his Dan Hedaya thing. (laughs) I love it. The key to doing a Dan Hedaya impression is just to start snipping out syllables. Just drop half the word. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Slur them all together. That when he says, I don't have the authority to intervene, it becomes, I don't have the authority to intervene. <laughs> no, it's just like Tervine. Your authority, Tervine. It's like that Tervine. jumbled Tervine. sentence online that it's like, if you can read this, it's like, <laughs> as long as all the letters are in the word, it doesn't yeah. matter what order they're in. Yeah. It doesn't matter how many syllables you actually say. Yeah, like Ian Holm also doing a good job as like this. I don't even. Again, like I can't make sense of all of his choices, but they're really. I think he's rival. He's he's like competing with Holly Hunter for just insanity. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Who can shoot the most scenery? Yeah. Yes. He does that, but then I also I like that he swings from like menace to sometimes he's just kind Mousy. of like. Mousy or even prissy at some point. Yeah. When he just kind of like, whew, with his bag. Oh, it's great. I mean, when the he thing slams the, end, the yeah. cane down. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's the loudest the, Yeah, well, like the sound of a thunder crack. <laughs> yeah, it, it's the cane moves like an inch if that. Yeah. But it manages to make this like reverberating thunderclap noise. He's like, you want me to kill him? Yes. yes. <laughs> and even like the part at the end where he's convinced that Holly Hunter and Delroy Lindo are like moving. Or he'll just be like, she just moved. Yeah. Thank you. She moved. I just saw her move. She moved. It's like a squirrel. Yeah, it's just like, it's just like this quick breakdown from like pissed, angry character into like this person who's just convinced that this corpse Absolutely. is moving in front of his yeah. eyes. 
Tony Shalhoub. It's a nice monologue. Yeah, yeah. Tony Shalhoub doing the best it. role of his life. Yeah, his it's first scene has no dialogue. His second one is basically just a speech, and that's pretty much it. Yeah, it's a good speech. As as Meg pointed out, this may have been among the best he's ever looked. Yeah, he's like, fine in this movie. He <laughs> looks the least Tony Schlubby Shalhoub that I've ever seen, which I say with affection. I have Excuse no problem with Tony Shalhoub. He was not Schlubby and Monk because his literal character was like the anti-Schlubby. Yeah. I guess. I suppose. <laughs> True enough. Um, Did we want to talk about the Tooch? Oh, oh, oh yes. I mean, Tooch is just doing what he does. Yeah, he's, he's great as always. <laughs> I he's... do love his, like, post-brain injury speech where he's like, take a break, they said. <laughs> Therapy. Screw him. Fuck him. <laughs> yeah, fuck him. I, what do they know? I checked myself out today. Yeah, yeah. lucky for you. I he's love... like, so the principles of children are the same Sideway. above and below the neck. <laughs> and then he just sticks a knife yeah. to his Yeah, can you just wheedle this bullet out of her thigh? I love that when MVD. Ian McGregor goes like, I need to be anesthetized, he goes like, you're gonna probably gonna pass out when the pain gets to be too much. Yeah, I'm sure you'll pass out when the pain gets too bad. <laughs> and then just like, because clearly things are weird when he shows up in the beginning and it's that like odd, like almost like femme fatale setup with like Celine shooting an apple off the butler's head and then like she takes a chunk out of uh, Stanley Tucci when he does the same thing. But then he is just this like manic psychosexual weirdo. I think the idea is that the he did get shot in the part of his brain that affected him. Yeah. Like, yeah. His I personality is altered. Probably the point, but the fact of the matter is we don't really see him too exactly. much before that. So it's like, was he always this unhinged psychosexual who liked her to dress up as a nurse? It's a lot well, to I think that's so, correct. No, I do too, because she seems very unfazed by it. I was yeah. gonna say she seemed to just be like, duh, this is what's going yeah, on. Yeah, it's like again. Oh, again. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Let's also talk about the aesthetic and setting. It's 97, but I don't think it's 97 in this movie necessarily. Necessarily. I could not tell you. I think it's just like people have modern taste. day, quote unquote, yeah. for 97. But then they, yeah. everyone had like slightly different, like if you were to tell me everyone was supposed to be representative of, of a slightly different fashion aesthetic, I would probably believe you because everyone's kind of operating on a different angle. See, I think the only one who really looks weird is Ewan. And I think that was just like his shtick at the time. I think that was just like... Brit, like what we look he's for. He's a mod. Like, yeah, yeah. He looks Excuse like a me. mod. He's like a mod and a rocker. But it's like, <laughs> but it's like a '90s sort of take on a mod. I feel like this was like not an uncommon look for. It, uh, it's, it is very like Oasis mod. Yeah, so yes, thank I, you. I think it's just like a nod. Uh, yeah, not so like Brit pop. And it's, like, it's like it's a weird non-specific location because they never outright say like, oh, we're in California or we're in Utah where it was filmed. It's just sort of like somewhere in the American Southwest. Yeah, that's all we get. So like that's where the ambiguity is mostly something from the fact that like there's not a real world for us to like have a firm grasp upon I don't really have the issues with character looks I think everyone's looks aside from the angels are pretty consistent with what someone like that might have actually worn in 97 the angels I think are deliberately out of time yeah because yeah. still Rolando's got that sort of zoot suit yeah and like the yeah, trench coats and the hats yeah. and obviously as we said Holly Hunter has like the scarf and the go-go boots and the beret so like I think they're supposed to look very bizarre and out of place and everyone else I feel like at least is pretty standard late nineties. I do think I think part of it is hard to tell because they spend a lot of time in the rural backwoods where things yeah. are probably behind the times. But right. Most of the cars we see have a lot of angles, which cars of like the eighties and seventies had, whereas mm-hmm. like the nineties was definitely curvy car era. Yeah, we were going toward that. But they're also <laughs> older cars too. Yeah. yeah. So they're like stealing trucks from backwoods yeah. people. And, yeah. Like, they're driving that old like Eldorado. Yeah. So I think I think it's just kind of like, hey, these are older cars and they look cool. I mean, yeah. I think it was just that like they were poor people, right? Yeah. Like, but also the question I guess I have thinking about it now really is like why is Ewan McGregor there 
Like, why is this Scottish expat working as a janitor in this colossal building? I don't know, but, like, I, you know, we had Ben and Jerry's catered at our office the other week, and there was, like, an Irish guy there, and I'm like... stop fucking bragging about your goddamn Ben and Jerry's (laughs) guts. This is, like, the fifth fucking time. I'm just saying, like, and I've been to, like, coffee shops before, and there's been, like, a British woman, and I'm like, like, an adult, and it's, like, not, like, a college student, and I'm like, that must happen. No, no, it's it's not not that I doubt it happens, it's just that I feel like that would inform his story in some way. You know, yeah. and like even at the end, he shows up in a kilt and they want to go back to Scotland because yeah. they talk about getting married in Scotland. So it's like clearly there is some sort of like is like that. Like, was he sort of like dumped here by two like expat parents who had him, who like, you know, moved there when he was 12. And he's like, well, fuck it. I want to get back to Scotland. But like, that's not he he an actor. to be a writer. It's yeah. not what I have the biggest problem with in this yeah. movie. I, know, I'm not saying I, know that it's a I have the biggest problem much. with it. I'm just saying it's there is no backstory for you and Rivera, period. I would agree. Like, yes, I don't understand that's the right. whole like novel writing thing or like that's just a problem yeah I, I don't know I don't I don't care that he's from Scotland I care that I don't know where his aspiration to write this novel comes right. from especially when he doesn't seem like he's a very good writer and he hates poetry yeah that's the <laughs> it's, it's like you never had to write a poem in like high school Ewan McGregor yeah. like, so yeah. like diary I mean, if you just want to write garbage that's fine like the world yeah, needs but, garbage but he's novels but never like never a poem in his life but you're trying to write a novel like yeah. and I mean, you never even see him writing a novel yeah the only aesthetic piece that really and not for a major loop but it was just sort of like I'm not a thousand percent sure what they're going for but like the offices in heaven they're like pseudo just business offices but a lot of it looks like a like a police I mean it is a police office confused about why we had to bother with like because we know it's heaven and we know he's like the angel Gabriel so it's like Gabriel chief of police and I'm like why I yeah it is weird to me that heaven is a police a police station yeah because like I, I don't understand what the point really is there versus like if it were just some generic like location farm yeah or, or just something. like anywhere and Gabriel shows up with like a folder and is like here's your next assignment like uh, why are they police I don't know I don't know I do like aesthetically I just like that it's an office where just everything's white and it's not like a big white room which I think is kind of a common right. trope for heaven. Yes. heaven it's like it's all crammed and there's like random shit all over the desks and stuff like that it's just you know it's I was just confused so by the police thing. yeah, the, yeah. The police they don't try to like obscure what it is it's not right. like you're meant to think it's a police station but oh he surprised you it's heaven it's, yeah. you know it's yeah. Doing isn't really like policing. I, I mean, I guess they're not like detectives or anything. Yeah, I don't think it's more inherently police-like than anything else you would see an angel doing in a movie akin to this. You know. It's yeah, probably worth comparing it to, like, how Miracle Workers portrays heaven as, like, a sort of, like, crappy, like, outdated office, office building. Yeah, yeah. With, like, like CRT computer Which monitors. makes yeah, sense. Yeah. Like, an office setting makes sense. Yeah. But if you're going to like, this like, a specific kind of office. Yeah. angle you're going for. Honestly, usually. what I think they're going for with heaven, I know police stations are typically where, like, people, criminals come in and get arrested, but also it's where, like, detectives work and detectives have cases, and these angels are, like, detectives in a certain way, so they have cases they take on. I think they were pushing the detective thing more than the, like, people, dead people get right. as, like, criminals in heaven or whatever. It's a confusing narrative, but I think yeah. that what they want to focus on is, like, angels, we want to compare them a bit to detectives. Right. So that brings us over to fixes. Which brave soul would always, like to go first? Always have to go first. Go for it. So, a couple things. I mean, this is very simple. I want to make it very clear and much more overt that Cameron Diaz orchestrates her own kidnapping against Ewan McGregor's will. That she, like, like he just is there to complain to the boss, but she sort of forces him to kidnap her. Um, and I want the angels to have decided as a foregone conclusion that they're going to fail, and, they're, and they, they just decide to, like, take the bounty job. And so, like, they do their job by accident. But it lets Holly Hunter be a not-so-crazy psycho woman. Because she's already, they've already given up from the start. 
And so their whole point is they are actually trying to kill them. I like that. And so they do their job sort of by accident. And then it's and then you do have, and then you cut to Robin Williams on Echo and he's like, my plan on words. <laughs> and, he, and he gives five dollars to Lucifer because they made a bet. Who plays Lucifer? Oh, it's the nineties still. Yeah, huh? Harvey Weinstein. <laughs> yeah. Maybe, maybe. Um, I don't see Harvey Weinstein. Whoever, whoever played him in Constantine, because that was only a few years later. Oh, uh, oh. Peter Stormare. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he was a nineties guy. Peter Stormare was. So good as Lucifer. Yeah. Please see our Constantine episode for more information on how good Peter Stormare was. <laughs> he was amazing. That's all right. All. That's all right. it? Nice. All right. Light changes. I, I mean, back. I like a lot of it, so. Yeah. Um, so we actually kind of touched on my fix earlier because my fix is to turn this into two movies. The bare bones of, like, these two ideas work. I just do not think they work together. I think it's just, it's too much. So I think, like, you could have a kidnapping movie where you have this, like, rich woman who is being, you know, her father's trying to, like, cut her loose from her trust fund or something. But she's been kidnapped before, so she kind of knows how to set it up. And she sees, you know, this Ewan McGregor character maybe getting fired. And she's just like, oh, the, this dope's got nothing going on. I can convince him to come along with me. And then they can go on this, like, road trip of wacky adventures and fall in love along the way. Um, but it's just, you don't need, you know, divine intervention to put forth that story necessarily. But I do think a movie about some kind of guardian angels could be fun. You know, they could be making people fall in love or there could, you could see all the different squads of angels. Like there could be people who make, make them fall in love and there could be, you know, teams who help people like get jobs and other mm. kinds of things. So it could be like kind of an inside out sort of thing where very helpful like, you, you see like behind the curtain. That would be a good name for the movie too, Chris. Helpful. Very helpful angels. <laughs> At that point, you, yeah, just go see Miracle Workers if you haven't seen it. Yes. <laughs> like it's pretty good. Yeah, it was pretty good. I liked it. I liked it. I also kept mine pretty simple. I feel like a lot of the events could stay the same. The two big things that I wanted to really change was... Ewan McGregor was aware of Celine before it happened, and while he had never really interacted with her directly, he had sort of idolized her, and she was the inspiration for this, like, daughter of JFK and Marilyn solving a mystery kind of thing. Similar to what Faith was saying, she just kind of sees him at a convenient time when she wants, like, someone easy to manipulate to create her own kidnapping thing. I think it's more interesting, and there's a lot more potential for, like, some dark comedy in there if it's she's orchestrated her own kidnapping, she wants the money, she doesn't want to work, but is also maybe kind of trying to, like, take some power back into her hands after being kidnapped that many times, and also seeing how her father maybe doesn't value her that much. They are kind of on this, like, crazy road trip heisty thing together where they have to occasionally keep stealing, but I think Delroy Lindo and uh, Holly Hunter are going to appear sort of in different forms as, like, different people in different places across this road trip. And they're using those moments to kind of nudge them out of their animosity and into couplehood together. I love Holly Hunter being so violent. This is where I get torn. I Maybe there would be like one scene where we could really get into her being violent again, because it is a lot of fun. But in general, I think I'd want them to be more of like clearly trying to help these people get together and not necessarily just like, you Trickster know, gods. Right, and chasing <laughs> them and shooting them all the time. It's an interesting inverse with the whole, the thread that you guys have of like her 
really and I had it too a little bit but but like her kidnap her organizing the kidnapping were like you could if you wanted it to be dark comedy especially it sort of becomes like he's the real hostage because mm-hmm. she's forcing him to be this villain which also and would, he's just terrified like I don't want to do it which also I think makes those those scenes where he was like I don't know what to do as a kidnapper and her coaching him through them I think become funnier if she is in control of this kidnapping situation from the start yeah Megan. Uh, my fix is very similar to Faith's, actually. <laughs> it's the guest fix. I would pull apart the concept. I don't really need the angel concept. Um, and I'm more interested in kind of the kidnapping storyline. And in terms of angels, I kind of, now that Miracle Workers is out, is <laughs> basically do that kind of a show. So I can kind of get rid of that part. So I wouldn't need to necessarily make both of those movies. I would just um, do the kidnapping plot. Because I did, like Chris was saying, I liked how, and Faith was saying also, um, how because she's been kidnapped before, she has sort of the intel to run it this time and kind of has to coach him through that because that was those were the parts that I liked the most was they were kind of becoming friends and had room to fall in love it was you know the movie kind of went about it in a very roundabout way but I could see the 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 parts were there that it could happen so I would follow more the kidnap storyline where he gets fired Mm -hmm. um she sets it up to have him kidnap her there off on their heist um because I also love Holly Hunter (laughs) Um, and Delroy, I might have them just be regular bounty hunters, like the dad just being mad that she's been kidnapped. That would work. And they're oh. just regular, they have to track them down. So we still have um, the Ewan and Cameron <laughs> characters, um, you know, doing their whole kidnap thing. Um, I kind of am tickled by the idea of them, like, being holed up in the cabinet. They're holed up for a while, and, like, Todd Johnson and Felix are, like, recurring people that maybe not necessarily help them with schemes where they're just like, oh, hey, how are you guys doing today? And, you know, they do some of their base of operations there, and then if the hunters are getting too close, then they, they go on the road. I'm all for, like, a road trip, but basically following them through falling in love as they are doing this kidnap scheme, and then still have the angel characters, just not as angels, just be regular civilian bounty hunters trying to track them down, and then trying to overcome, not the hunters having to try to have you in, and Cameron's characters try to avoid capture and, and fall in love. And then also maybe at the end, if they make their getaway, that he actually does become like a best-selling <laughs> trash author. I liked that suggestion that Brendan had. That's like, why don't we keep bringing this up, so why don't we just give it to him? So like, yeah, they, they make off with a big heist and they move to Scotland. But the novel's about the, their story. That would be cool. Yeah. Or he just, maybe Celine helps him think of like a better... <laughs> thing <laughs> than the one that he has it's not necessarily our story that would be cool but um well, I don't if know, she gets credit if she's doing that Amanda, yeah <laughs> they get yeah they could have double credit she's and they could be like right super big in in the UK or whatever what, what a beautifully simple solution to just make them bounty hunters <laughs> can just I make them regular bounty hunter <laughs> can I add something to that sure. because as soon as you said like you wanted to get rid of the angel plotline, and even before you said you were going to have them be bounty hunters, mm-hmm. I had this thought of, like, Holly Hunter is still the bounty hunter, Yeah, but she's the one that's rescued Cameron Diaz all the times in the past, and she's, like, oh. this, like, crazy... And she's sort of, like, an interesting... Arch- Gotta get you again. Yeah, and so, she, and so, like, Cameron Diaz, like, it could be a fun moment, like, the moment she realizes, like, that her father hired her again, she's like, oh, fuck. Yeah, <laughs> like, cool. this is a hard bitch to... O'Reilly is coming after us now. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like, that would be such a great really moment. Gotta, yeah. So I have a pitch for a screenplay called Holly Hunter Bounty Hunter. <laughs> 
<laughs> no, I don't. So mine also is going to axe the angels completely because I think it's been done in other movies and I don't really care about it in this one. So when I was watching this movie with you guys, the first time we watched it, I think within like 15 to 20 minutes of watching it, I was like, okay, I've got to figure it out. I know what this is. I had not seen the rest of the movie. I didn't know where it was going, but I knew from watching the beginning, like what I wanted the premise to be. The premise is this. So you have Ewan McGregor's character who is going to work as like a janitor or something low level in this enormous publishing company. You have Cameron Diaz's character who is the daughter of the head of this company or something like that. She's probably been working at this company her entire life. So like she knows it in and out. She's not just like, this is going to be very screwball comedy, but I don't want her to be like the sort of typical like heiress who is just like has loads of money and doesn't really do anything. So she is getting pushed into a marriage with Stanley Tucci by her father because her Stanley Tucci is also like the scion of a prominent publishing company. Her father's like, aha, like our two houses can unite finally. And she does not want this whatsoever. And so what she conspires is to do is she talks to Lily Ewan McGregor, whom she has kind of seen from afar. And she realizes that like, ah, Ewan McGregor is actually the one I'm really interested in. So she goes up to him and is like, what if we contrive that you've kidnapped me and have taken me away from my father? That way I won't have to marry Stanley Tucci. And that way, like, you know, it'll get me out of this without telling him that she's hoping that he does this so that like they can spend more time together. So it's like completely ludicrous, but he's like, once this all works out, we have to clear everything up. And I also have this like crappy novel I've been working on that I want you to help me publish. She's like, yeah, great. Let's find, let's do it. Whatever. It's going to be more of a road trip as a lot of other people have suggested than an actual, um, you know, them stuck in a cabin because I don't really care for about that part that much. So, you know, you're going to have them run into characters like Todd Johnson and Felix and let you know, like that sort of thing. Then you're also going to have them being pursued by two, sorry, make actual bounty hunters. So while they're doing this, uh, obviously Ewan McGregor and Cameron Diaz are getting closer together. The dad's getting like more and more pissed at the inability of these bounty hunters to bring these two people back to him. And so then at the end, you find out that she was actually the one who had sent the bounty hunters to her father under the assumption that her father would hire them as a way to create a romantic situation for the two of them to get close together. So she was the one really, like, controlling the entire thing from the beginning. When everything has gone, like, horribly awry, her father finally figures out that, like, it was her doing this. She's like, yeah, I did it. So, like, what are you going to do? He's like, well, I'm going to fucking disown you. That's what I'm going to do. And she's like, okay, fine. I'm going to start my own publishing business because I know how to fucking run a publishing business. And she decides to publish you and McGregor's book about their adventures. Aww. Aww. It's cute, but... But... (laughs) But... My one concern is that, and I feel like we care less about this because it's a woman doing it to a man, but it feels very emotionally manipulative. Oh, I agree with you. <laughs> Trust me. I agree with you. But you know what? I was thinking of that, and the thing that reassured me that it could possibly not be is when we watched What's Up Doc the other night, because it is literally an entire movie about a woman, like, manipulating a man to fall in love with her. It is, but also I care less about Ryan O'Neill in that movie. I also feel like that What's Up Doc is a living cartoon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's such yeah, a mamby-pamby. See, and there's no reason like, why this couldn't be. Yeah, honestly, I feel, yeah, if it's a living cartoon, yeah. I'm fine with Screwball it. Screwball like was, like, the element of this that attracted me to it. Yeah. I did not care about the angels. I did not care about like the weird dark overtones. I just liked the fact that on paper, this was a classic screwball comedy scenario. Yeah. The big question, would we recommend this movie? Yes. Yes. I think it's fun. Yeah. I, I think it's worth it for Holly Hunter and nothing else. <laughs> oh, harsh. I would recommend it. I think it's an enjoyable watch. There's... Stop being so, like, stop being so vehement about it, Chris. No, I hate it. <laughs> It's really fun. You have a lot of fun. You have a lot of fun. <laughs> so much fun. All the fun. Think, fun. I think even if you go in, even even if while you're watching it, you're like, I'm finding this hard to follow, or the plot doesn't Don't worry. Sense, so are we. Yeah. I think it almost kind of doesn't matter just because the individual performances are so good and silly and big and fun that... Two of the performances if, are so good. The other ones are... Fine, I enjoy or not in there enough to matter. I enjoy Holly Hunter. I enjoy Jowry Lindo. I like Ian Holmes' character. I think Ewan McGregor does a good job selling material that is unkind to him. Um, I don't know. I think you can have a good time. 
with the characters, even if you think the story is uh, shoddy. Yeah. Meg and I watch like Sunday afternoon to fold laundry. It's fun. I did not have a good time with the characters, so I disagree. Meg and I have a lot of history with this movie, so I think yeah. So let me ask, ask, why did we watch this, Lee? Well, because I saw it. I, I I think I saw it first, you and did. I think I made you watch it. Yes, in our this friendship. is back in the day, early days. She of tied makeup friendship. to a chair, yeah. covered it with a quilt. <laughs> Where I would often go over to your house, and you'd be like, "We're gonna watch this thing that I just watched. It's awesome." And friendship was... with me is a lot of me forcing people to watch things I like. <laughs> yes, it is. Start certainly. Yeah. So, yeah, this is like high school. And that was, I think, we watched a lot of good things, to your credit. And we yeah. still do. Um, but I think that was my favorite one of um, the yeah. pieces of media that we watched back when we were becoming And we loved it as a kid. I don't think we had, we, I don't think we would have had a whole lot negative to say about it. I mean, I'm not going to put words in your mouth, nope. but I don't think I had anything negative to say about this movie. No, as a I thought person. it was, I thought it was unique to anything I had seen up until that point. It was something yeah. different. And I mean, like now watching it again, I'm like, oh, there's a lot. This, that's kind of like I said, it's Flapdash is a good way. Yeah. yeah. There's, there's a lot of pieces that I like and that are good and they're kind of jammed together and it's not necessarily effective, but I still like it enough, even even if I didn't have nostalgia factor. Yeah, or I like it enough, and I'm like, this entertained me for yeah, I, the I hour wasn't... and forty three minutes long that it is. Would you like to rattle off our social media? Yes, I would. So you can go to facebook.com slash whywatchpodcast, whywatchpodcast at gmail.com. Stop saying the Gmail. Nope. Can't stop, won't stop. Whywatchpodcast at gmail.com. Bye. 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 I was doing a wave. Like- Bye.